right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You don't got time to say. All right, let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on your Wednesday, December 22nd, a few days away from Christmas. We'll be out on Friday with Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. Have you ever, you know, put a bunch of time and, and effort into doing something like, I don't know, maybe it was you cooking something, you put all this time and effort and then uh, the, maybe it just tasted bad or you burned it or the person you cooked it for didn't like it or was allergic or something or, you know, it could be something other than cooking. You just put all this time and effort into doing something and it just, it, it, it didn't matter. It felt like just a complete waste of time. This is a sports show, Derek. Can we talk about that KU game last night, please? Well, this is where I'm going with that. What? It happened yesterday. The game? Yeah, I know it happened. KU, Colorado, called off. Wait a minute. COVID in Colorado's program. First time hearing of this. I don't believe you. I oh. don't believe you at all. Well, okay, yeah, you're right. I'm lying. I was trying to go around, trying to make a joke. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was, uh, that was annoying. But, I mean, what a waste of a show yesterday was. I know. Right? Which, really, I care more about that than the <laughs> fact. The players that had to fly out there, I know, right? I mean, and and the scout. I don't yeah. know who had you know a different assistants get assigned the scout. Mm-hmm. Um, I want those three hours back in my life. Yeah, that's I can't do anything for mm-hmm. you, man. But we're off Friday. Yeah. Do you think if we plead enough to our program director, we can be like, hey, we we did a meaningless three hours yesterday, so I think we should get one show off of our choosing whenever we want we just have it in our back pocket we'll see how that uh we'll see how that goes um i uh yeah i don't know i just know i was very irritated because i wanted another data point um a, a really what would have been a really good data point we talked a lot how it was going to be probably their third best non-conference game and we don't get to see it no and it would have been you know Anytime you have a team who it still feels like you're trying to figure out the rotation or who could crack the rotation or where certain guys sit as far as young players or new players or guys like Jalen Coleman lands and KJ Adams, like where do they sit in the pecking order? Just every data point you get, especially before conference play, is another new one. It's another talking point. It's another uh, thing of interest. And, and we didn't get that in this game. Plus Jalen Wilson coming off, you know, what yeah. might have been his best game of the season against Stephen F. Austin, a chance to see if he was going to continue that, um, you know, that carry momentum, I guess, yeah. into, into last night. Well, because it, it would have been, I mean, that may have been the biggest story today. If Jalen Wilson goes out there last night and puts up, you know, 14 points, seven rebounds. All of a sudden we're talking today and saying, okay, this is now two straight games where Jalen Wilson has had positive performances. He's same stringing with, it together. Same with Remy Martin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, of course, the the... the Continuing the the Christian and Ochai discussion and and that you know all American candidates and I, it's just uh, yeah it was just disappointing. I was here last night. I was running board for the women's game. I saw the tweet and I, I don't know. It's just it's pure disappointment and and I don't even know how else to put it. 
You know, it's not as upsetting as the loss would have been, but still, it's just annoying. It's all it is. It's annoying. It, yeah, and, and, and a reminder. You know, I'm. You know, I. I'm just. I'm sick of reminders of this damn virus. Like I, I'm. You know, I get. I'm, I understand why we had the lockdown. I, I was the masks, the the vaccines. I'm in full support of all that, and I understand the science of why those things worked for those who participated. Um, but I just, you know, so I'm not, I'm not, I'm not complaining about the decision. I understand the decision. I think it was the right decision. I'm just sick of it. Like, mm-hmm. I'm so sick of all this, you know, again, I, I'm, I'm not mad at any, I'm not mad at the Colorado players or Tad Boyle. I'm not mad at Bill Self and the administration for choosing to not have the game. I'm fine with those decisions. I'd be, I'm happier than us finding out in two weeks that they chose to play in spite of it. I mean, I'm I'm fine with the decision to cancel. It's just I'm mad at the situation. Yeah, it sucks. It's it's the ultimate level of frustration. The ultimate frustration comes when you deep down know there's nothing I can do. Yeah, you know, and that that's the situation here. So I I mean I feel bad for everybody who you know whether it was like Matt Tate. We talked to him yesterday. He was uh, going up to Boulder. He was in Colorado. Whether it's people like that, whether it's fans who made their way out there, whether it's you know I mean how many we talked about how this would have been a. Cri- perfect christmas present for yeah. somebody that lived yeah. in western so kansas for that. yeah it's it just sucks it, and that that's all that it boils down to it sucks um i'll say this too i don't know if anybody was making this this case i, I wasn't really on social media much last night um till later on but um i'll just reiterate my stance of what i said yesterday with forfeitures uh, again i don't know if anybody was making this of, of saying well this is you know ridiculous that colorado waited till this long to tell ku and they should get a forfeiture because they they waited so long. Well, I'll just say this. How would you feel if Kansas was about to play Baylor, or let's say Kansas was about to play the worst team in the league, and it's their season finale, and if they win the game, they clinch the Big 12 outright, and they can't play because of COVID, and the game gets called off, and they have to forfeit to Kansas, and it costs them the league, right? Yeah. Uh, or, or it costs them a one seed in the NCAA tournament or something. It would suck. That should not be a determining factor. So it's unfortunate the timing happened, but it's not. If it like Colorado can't control the timing exactly. of when people test positive or when people start to feel sick. So if it, if it came it out, sucks. if it came out that Colorado, and I don't think this will happen, if if somehow it comes out that Colorado, you know, I don't know why they would. I, I don't. They have no reason to delay and delay and delay. You know, if it comes out that they were somehow trying to hide it, which again, I, there's no motive there. They still didn't play the game. So I, I don't see how you I, – I again, it goes back to, you know, when you're mad at a situation, it, it, there's kind of this instinct to be mad at a person because of it. So you have something or somebody tangible and physical to point at. Um, I think this is just one of those things where you just say sometimes reality just kind of sucks. Yeah. And that's what this is. It's just reality sucking. There's no there's nobody to blame. Mm-hmm. There's nobody to punish here. It just sucks. Yeah. And that's And that's the extent of it. So that is our show today. Everything sucks, but um, in, in reality, like... Merry Christmas. It, yeah, right? Uh, bah humbug. Uh, it is what it is. Um, ultimately, now this just makes the non-con feel even more incomplete. And and as it's been pointed out several times, I know Jesse Newell's pointed this out a couple times, so I'll bring it up. Um, when you compare it to, you know, the other top 10 teams on Ken Palm, KU strength, the schedule is just fine. And they're, they're going to get plenty of really good opportunities for wins, whether you're looking at the net, whether you're looking at Ken Palm, whether you're looking at the AP top 25, whatever way you view it, they're going to get plenty of those opportunities considering how strong the Big 12 is. It just, 
It, it just feels incomplete. That, that's all it is. You didn't get the Alabama game. That wasn't a COVID thing. That was just the bracket worked out that way. Both teams didn't end up making it that far. Um, you didn't get a game against Kentucky or Duke this year in the Champions Classic, The what are probably going to be the better teams. You didn't get among a typical Michigan State. Michigan State team. Yeah, exactly. You didn't get a typical Michigan State, so you didn't get that like top 10 win right away. Um, you had this Colorado game called off, which, first of all, in years past, Colorado's been like a consistent NCAA tournament theme. This year they were down, and then it gets called off. It's just, it's just an incomplete, and it's unfortunate it, it, for all the reasons we were mentioning at the beginning. As I said, the schedule is going to be fine. Big 12 schedule is going to really ramp it up. But we just have way, I, I think, there's not as much concrete takeaways we can have from this preseason compared to other preseasons because of the lack of hard schedule. Remember the 15-16 season, and this one turned out pretty well because the team was the number one overall seed. But remember that season, that, do you remember much of the non-con? Because I'm, I'm going somewhere with this. Mm. So the team started, they played a, a fine. Was that the year they blew it to Michigan State? Yes. And, and that Michigan State team, I think, ended up getting upset. They were a really good team all year. They were a two seed. Yeah, and then and they Middle got upset Tennessee in the first State, round. Yeah, so they were, they were a good team. They were a top 10 team. Mm. So this is not a perfect comparison, but they lost that. And then they went to Maui, and they won Maui, but they played nobody in Maui. Yeah, like I'm looking at it right Van, now. They played Vanderbilt. Chaminade. In, yeah. UCLA, and, who was not even a top sixty team, and then Vanderbilt and then finished Vanderbilt. 25th in Ken Palm. And so fine. The, and so the, the point is that that kind of that's what I'm feeling right now is is there was never a defining wow, what a moment. Even, you know, even in the eleven twelve season, uh you know, where they didn't really have any marquee Oh no, that's a lie. They did have a non marquee non con. They they beat uh, Ohio State, who was without Jared Solinger, but they beat Ohio State in, in Allen Fieldhouse. So, yeah, every season it seems like you can point to a game where you're like, hey, that one. Mm -hmm. And just unfortunately, um, you know, 14-15 was the same way. They got destroyed by Kentucky in the Champions Classic. Uh, they did play Michigan State that year in Orlando, but, again, that was an unranked Michigan State team. Uh, so that's, I don't know, I, I think back to that 15-16 where they blew a lead against a good Michigan State, a really good Michigan State team, a top-10 Michigan State team. Um, and then, you know, their only their biggest game other than that was the Maui Invitational title, which was against Vanderbilt. Yeah. And so I, there just was never like this, ooh, that game. You never got that, wow, what a game moment uh, with this non-con, and that's just kind of a bummer. No, it's a good point. I, I have it pulled up. Uh, Vanderbilt was top 25. Outside of that, you didn't have anybody. Oregon State was 64th. San Diego State was 46th. Although, UC Irvine was 84th. You should you should have fond memories. Oregon State, I don't think you watched that game. I was at that game. That was the game at um, the artist formerly known as Sprint Center. And that night, however, was uh, KU uh, USC volleyball. That's right. I was so, wondering why I couldn't remember that game. That yeah, was you, KU. You had, okay. Yeah, you had you had a good day. That we all had a good day then. But that was just that was such just a, a man non-con, and I kind of feel the same yeah. way about this non-con. Yeah, and, and I would say the same thing to that team as for this team. It doesn't mean they're not good. It doesn't mean they're they're not living up to their ranking. I don't think that's what I'm saying at all. What I'm just saying is. From our perspective of of what we do every day, come in here and, yeah. and try to find things to talk about and try to th find we things that are interesting. have 15 hours a week to yeah, fill, damn exactly. it. Give us something exactly. to talk about. It's just if, if you're playing a, a more hard-hitting schedule or if you're just going to have more takeaways because you're going to feel like it's going to translate more to the Big 12 side of play. Um, so it just is what it is. And again, going back in line with the theme of this sucks. Um, but you can at least convince yourself a little 
Like if, if we want to do glass half full with the game being canceled, I I don't know. I guess we could go here. Um, we did talk a lot yesterday that, who knows, maybe it's not the worst thing in the world that, that KU didn't play the game beyond the obvious like COVID factors. Um, but KU had way less to gain in that game because of the fact that this wasn't going to end up being a, you know, you weren't playing a top 25 team. Even though this would have been one of better one of KU's better non-conference games, it still wasn't a game that at the end of the year we would have looked at. And as you were looking at their, you know, seeding and, and projecting what they're going to be in the NCAA tournament and seeing what Joe Lenardi says or whatever bracket place you look at, and you were going to say, oh, but remember that Colorado win? That wasn't going to be the case. So there wasn't as much to gain for KU. Um, you're in a dangerous spot on the road because it's just on the road anyway. And it was really your first true road game, depending how you view the St. John's game, because it wasn't on campus. Um, uh, apparently, this got this got pointed out to me. I was reading some work from Jesse Newell, who we'll have on here in about 25 minutes. We were questioning, like, how much does the altitude impact things? I don't know if this is an altitude situation or what. If you go to Ken Palm, they have, like, a home court advantage factor. I don't know what goes into that, if it's just results-based, if it's based on – I think it has something to do with what the, you know, score expectation is and then what happens in the game at home or whatnot. They had the number one really? home court advantage. So I don't know if that has something to do with it. So, And, and it was a game we questioned the motivation. You're right before Christmas break. How motivated are you going to be? If you want to look at this glass half full, you could say, well, KU didn't really have that much to gain here outside of us being able to have talking points. So maybe at the end of the day, it's not the worst thing in the world that the game didn't happen. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, I'm, I don't know. It, yeah, I, 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 I agree. I agree. I mean, I, I, you're making valid points. It just still, I, I would always rather play than not play. Yeah, I would too. I'm just, I'm trying to, to look at the positives here because, you know, but it, it just, yeah, I don't know. It, I, I I wish they would have played. They didn't play. I understand why they didn't play, and and that just um, that's just reality. And now we wait and hope that uh, they're able to play Harvard on the 29th. So I was thinking about this with how this last couple of weeks has gone between the Missouri game, you basically having a condensed rotation, Stephen F. Austin having a condensed rotation, um, UTEP game, nobody really took over the minutes that were lost from Bobby Pettiford, and then this game just gets canceled, so it's one less opportunity for your Jalen Coleman lands and Joe Yesifus and so forth to, I guess, step up and, and fill into that role. Because when Bobby Pettiford went down and he had the injury, um, and we knew he was going to be gone for whatever, four or five weeks at that point. I don't know what we're at now, maybe two, three weeks. We wondered who was going to be the guy to step up to kind of fill his minutes. It didn't mean it all had to go to one guy or it was that specific position but where were those minutes going to go and was anybody going to step up so far we haven't really seen that and now with this game gone and passed that's one less game for those guys to do that I wonder if the biggest winner out of all of these past like two or three weeks how they have gone just in general for the last three weeks is Bobby Pettiford that's a good question and maybe he you know if you want to talk optimism it's it's another chance for him to get uh to get more right you know and 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 not um, you know, not having to sacrifice the game without him. That's that's an interesting point. Yeah, just because nobody has been able to, whether it's from the games themselves or from, in this case, just not having a game, uh, establish themselves to say, okay, well, by the time Bobby Pettiford gets back, it's a different team because this guy has taken over this role. And now, as we look at it now, I think you just say that, okay, well, Whenever Bobby Pettiford's back in a couple weeks, he's probably going to be in the same role he was in before. Maybe he'll even have a bigger role yeah. than he I mean, was nobody, before. Nobody in the games they were able to play, nobody stepped up and, and took it. Yeah, 
and we're still waiting on on a guy like Joey Estefuda kind of have that breakout, and who knows if that's in the cards for this season. All right, we're going to talk with Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star coming up in 20 minutes from right now. Brian Haney, the voice of the Jayhawks, will join us at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. We've also got Around the World with Adam. We've got some college football conversation. I want to talk MVP race with Patrick Mahomes. Where does he stand? Where should he stand in the current climate of things? But on the other side, there is uh, some weird stipulations being put in place for the college football playoff amid this whole COVID resurgence. We'll talk about that next with Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson. Along with me is Adam Dravetta on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Joined now on a Wednesday, a couple days before Christmas, by Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star, KansasCity.com. Um, so, Jesse, we don't have the Colorado game now to get that extra data point of this team of just figuring things out. So, as it stands right now, last two games that we've seen with the Missouri game and, and the Stephen F. Austin game, uh, maybe more of a bit of a condensed rotation, at least in the moments that mattered, which for the Missouri game was basically the whole game just because of the, the rivalry aspect for the Stephen F. Austin game was because the game kind of went down to the wire. Um, do you think that more condensed rotation, the guys that we've seen more reliably played right now, do you think that's going to be what carries over into the start of Big 12 play and we're going to see that a lot more regularly now? Yeah, I think so. I mean, that's sort of what Bill Self always seems to get to, and I think the opportunity for that to not be the case was earlier in the season, but you've heard in Bill Self's words exactly kind of what his feelings are on that, which is when KU was playing well earlier in the season and he went to his bench, they basically would blow a lot of the lead, and those guys weren't really holding up their end of the bargain, and especially was the case when he had three or four different bench guys in at the same time, and it seemed like whenever that happened, it you know, the other team went on a run. He would have to set back his starters, and it really was not doing what he was wanting it to do, which was give those guys a chance to play and also have them at least maintain a lead that had been built up by the best players. So it's you know, it's, it's what it is. Um, we talked all offseason about how deep this rotation was going to be, how many players those have had, all the toys he could play with, all the ways he could play, and yet here we are at the end of December, and it's kind of the same old, same old. You know, it's, it's Guys who you thought were going to get minutes aren't getting them, and the, the best players have sort of solidified themselves in those spots. And uh, you know, KU's not really finding any creative ways to get guys in, so it's, it's kind of what you might have expected from any other season. But it's happening this season where KU might have the deepest bench it's ever had. So that's—I don't know if it's good or bad or indifferent. It's just sort of the way it is, and it's the way it's played out. So if, if the bench would have maybe had a better impression earlier on in the season, maybe that would have changed, but. That isn't how things went, and so I think Bill Self is pretty content now to just kind of limit things down and play the guys who he knows is best, and that's, as you mentioned, Derek, has limited him to, to keeping it to seven or eight pretty consistently in the last couple of games, and I definitely expect that moving forward. If I were to tell you that somebody who currently is maybe not getting as much time right now as, as uh, some of the other guys does crack into some sort of spot, I, I guess I don't know who that would leave us with, basically, um, 
I don't know, Bobby Pettiford right now that's due to injury, but um, Jalen Coleman-Lands, Joe Yesifu, uh, so forth down the list, K.J. Adams, Zach Clements. Is there anybody that sticks out that you think you would like to stake your claim to that if there is a new player added to this kind of trusted rotation, who do you think that would be? Yeah, that's difficult. Um, you know, I, I would probably say Yesifu just based off of talent and based off of what he could provide, which is pretty good on the ball defense, athleticism, three-point shooting, kind of a mixture of those three things. I think the problem for him is that KU has a lot of shorter-ish guards that sort of do the same thing that he does, especially when Bobby Pettiford comes back. So I'm not I'm not sure I'm really faulting Yesifu at this moment. It's more just that his position is more crowded than the other ones, and he seems to be thinking a lot. I mean, those guys, especially a guy like him, he seems to really want to please both off, but it's just it's not coming naturally yet. You know, the defensive rotations are a little bit slow, and, and he's just it's bogged down a little bit. He, he's not where he needs to be mentally when it comes to two months in with the season, you know, only a couple, two or three months to go. Jalen Coleman, I think, is who he is. He's going to be brought in to make threes, and trying to do a little bit more than he can is going to lead to him sitting the bench. And him making threes is going to lead to him being a really good player for them and having a lot of playing time in certain matchups when you need a zone buster or whatever the case may be. But, you know, there's an instance against Stephen F. Austin where he missed out an opportunity on a ball screen. Um, he drove baseline. Zach uh, Clemens was open for a pick and pop, wide open three. He drives baseline, which, again, is not really his thing anyway. He tried to hit Remy Martin on a baseline drift. Pass got stolen. He actually saw that that wasn't going to work, so he threw it way back in the backcourt and led to a a layup dunk for uh, Stephen F. Austin. But, I mean, those are the sorts of plays he just can't make. I mean, that's that's way out of his comfort zone, way out of what he was brought here to do. And so those are the sorts of things he can't do because we know defensively he's going to be limited. He's a taller guy, but he, he's not great laterally. Uh, and the only one I would say on that list is Phil Self has complimented K.J. Adams, and what's kept him out of the lineup lately has just been that sickness, at least against Stephen F. Austin. So, if Bill Self is going to move away a little bit from David McCormick, which it doesn't seem like that's going to be the case, but if he does, then KJ Adam gives you sort of a small ball five look with some athleticism, happy to play a team role, uh, you know, can get some block shots, rebounds, things like that, push and transition. Uh, he could give KU a little bit of what it doesn't have when it comes to a five guard look. I know Jim wants to kind of play that small ball five spot too, but um, I don't know if I would just say just yes, but I think he's the most talented of three. I think he's the most likely to have things come together. But it seems like Coleman Lance has kind of a role carved out for when K needs it, and KJ Adams is sort of behind those other guys but has a skill set that Bill Self likes, or at least a certain facet that Bill Self likes of his skill set. So we'll see how it plays out. Who knows how the season goes, but I guess I'd put my chips on yesterday just kind of banking on the skill and what he's been able to do in college so far. Yeah, I all season long, I feel like I've been pretty patient with the fact that I still believe there is going to be a game or two in there where Joe Yasufu just has like uh, kind of a, a bust out game off the bench where he just he gets hot because we saw him do that at Drake so often at the end of last year where he scores you 16 points off the bench and you win the game because of him. But I'm also kind of. Uh, wavering a bit on that because of the fact that I thought that once Bobby Pettiford went down over these next four or five weeks when that happened, uh, I guess a couple weeks now still left in that, that this would be the best opportunity for Joe Yesifu to at least kind of grab the bull by the horn, so to speak, and 
maybe garner a, a larger spot in the rotation. And that hasn't happened yet, which kind of makes me think the biggest winner over these last couple weeks of seeing the rotation dip down and then not having a game last night where there wasn't a chance for, for more guys to kind of step up in his miss. Maybe the biggest winner over all these last couple weeks is Bobby Pettiford, just the idea that he could be the guy if nobody else takes the spot. Yeah, and it's just tricky, I think, in Bill's self-mind because mm-hmm. um, right now they have a lot of small guards. You know what I mean? Uh, if you have Remy Martin and Dewan Harris, who are obviously take up a lot of the playing time to start with, and naturally they're guards, so they don't get in foul trouble as much as some other position players might, if you bring in a guy off the bench as another small guard, you know, you basically can't play all three together unless you're playing some really weird lineup. And then you just mentioned Bobby Pettiford, who is another small guard. So if he comes back, you're just kind of eating in that time as well. And, you know, there was an instance against uh, Stephen F. Austin, just in his very brief playing time where Jesse Jetson really tried to pressure the ball, tried to get after a guy, uh, you know, didn't come away with the steal. And, and his guy, who wasn't much bigger than him, but basically just took him straight to the rim, kind of muscled him up and put a layup over him. And that's sort of the thing you're facing. With Jesse, I mean, if, if he's the only guy on the court that is – that size that, you know, he's listed at six foot, but let's be honest, he's five nine, five ten. He's got a great athleticism, but you know, it's 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 tough. You're switching all those guard spots. If you have if you're going against guys that are six two, six three or six three, six four and you're already got a small guard on the court, it just leaves you a little bit, you know, open to having another team kind of bully ball you and, and just take their guard and drive him straight at you and, and see what you can do about it. So yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's it's a weird setup right now for yes who and, and like I said I Bill Stone's talking about this. He's kind of a pleaser. He's, he, he wants to do well. He wants to do well really badly and kind of defers, but uh, I think he's just left him really passive right now. He just seems the exact opposite of aggressive. And sometimes if you're a coach and you're watching this, you'd almost just rather a guy make an aggressive mistake. Just just go play basketball. Go do what you do. And if you mess up, then just worry about that in a few seconds. But I think Joseph right now is kind of the opposite end of that spectrum where he's he's just sort of, he's thinking, 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 and then he's just kind of out there. And uh, that flip can get switched. Uh, that switch can get flipped, I guess. That's the way it would be saying it if, uh, if I was talking right. But um, we'll see if it happens in the next few weeks or you know, if it happens next year or whatever the case may be. I still he's going to be a really good player. It's just kind of a fit in what he's done so far has, has left a lot to be desired and also has left Kansas without a clear path to him playing at least extended minutes like we might have expected. We're talking with Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star. Uh, one of my favorite things with college basketball that you can't really do in the NBA is have the discussion over who's the best player, but who's the most important player, right? Like if I said, who's the best player on the Lakers, but who's the most important? I guess maybe that's a bad example because maybe you could argue Anthony Davis versus LeBron, but you know what I mean. For the most part, it's you know pretty much the best player is the most important player in the NBA. Uh, it's a little sillier that way in college basketball. So Jesse... If I were to ask you that question, I'm sure the best player would be Ochag Baji. Who is the most important player for KU? Yeah, I wrote about this last week. I, I think the most important player is Dave McCormick. And it's interesting because, you know, I, I follow a lot of the numbers and analytics and uh, advanced stats, all those sorts of things. And you have to be careful with lineup numbers because it's a small sample and you try to opponent adjust it, all those sorts of things. But um, in this case, I, I really do believe at this point, um, that David is one of K's most valuable players because when he's playing well, it really shows um, statistically, especially 
defensive end where KU has struggled. And, I mean, I was the guy last year, the last year when KU went to the five guards and looked good against St. Joseph's, and I thought, hey, put Jalen Lewis on the five, just play small, have a superpower offense, go with that. You know, David just, he kind of is inefficient. He's using a lot of possessions. He's trying to take on a role that he doesn't really need. And then, sure enough, the second half of the season, Dave turned on, to his credit, became an all-Big 12 second-team player. You know, could have been argued for a first-team player just based off how he played in conference play. So, um, obviously, that all worked out well for Kansas. And then, the front of this year, it's kind of been the same thing. There's been some labors, some struggles, you know, some issues offensively with him just performing his role and catching the ball and putting it in and bringing it down, all those sorts of things. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting now because I'm kind of on the opposite end. I just think, and I mentioned this in my last story, KU does not have, Bill Self had this big shopping list in the offseason. He went out and got a point guard and then another point guard and then another point guard, all those sorts of things. You know, he didn't really go out and get a big man center or in protector type player. He didn't get one behind Dave McCormick. He sort of trusted Dave. And so when they have somebody else play that opposition, I just don't think there's that natural fit that Dave is. And I think that what they practice and what they want to play to really is having Dave at the five and being a, a rim protector slash guy at the rim that makes people at least think twice about going in there and putting up an easy shot. And I don't think it's a coincidence against Stephen F. Austin where I believe the Lumberjacks had 48 points in the paint in that particular game. And, Dave got those thrilly fouls and really didn't get in rhythm and wasn't on the court for much of that time. I just think the better and best version of Kansas is going to be Dave McCormick in there and being able to play extended minutes and being able to um, you know, do some things on the defensive end that Kansas really needs because they don't have great individual defenders. So we'll see how it plays out. But I, I think, again, those, at those adjusted lineup numbers, at least for now, when you're looking at you know, comparing them to uh, what the competition KU faced, David has been very, very important for KU's defense, one of the most important. And I just think based off what's behind him, we talked about it. If, if Dewan Harris isn't good, you can bring in Joseph Yesifu and be okay. If David McCormick's not good, I just don't think they have a great fill-in for behind him to do what he does. And so he remains a key point of the season, just like he was a season ago. And so uh, we'll see how he performs from here and if he can kind of get out of his own head and get out of this mini funk that he's been in. Yeah, so go check that out in the Kansas City Star, KansasCity.com. Really good article. Um, and if Dave is indeed the most important player for KU, what does improvement look like from this point on? Um, as you mentioned, like, and, and I know you've kind of pointed this out several times on, on Twitter and stuff, that Dave has been a lot better than people have maybe thought, and as you just said, with how he's impacted the defense and everything. Obviously, last year the improvement just came from him um, – you know, just making shots, being more of an offensive force. But given that that's not as needed for this team, if there was a, a path to Dave getting even better like there was last year, what do you think that would look like to help KU this year? Yeah, I think number one is just being reliable. I mean, that last match against Stephen at Boston, basically Dave was playing a player who was three inches shorter than him and not quite as good as him. But KU desperately needed that big body in there, and it threw off their complete – defense completely when he wasn't available and so he got those two fouls and two minutes and i mean you really just you know whether they're questionable calls or not that the team needs him they, they needed him in there and sometimes i kind of think back to landon lucas where it's just then lucas wasn't always just saving the world with his with his play and with what he did offensively but he was just reliable you knew he could count on it for 32 33 minutes he was going to wall up be a defender in there so i think just being reliable is one and um you know, just worrying about the things you can control, you know, going hard after rebounds, 
seven good screens, um, offensive rebounding, which actually Dave has been very, very good at that this year. I think that's part of the reason he's been a big boon to their offense is that he's gotten extra possessions for them. But, you know, I, I'm not sure in his mind that equates to success. What equates to success is the turnaround jumpers going down or him being able to catch every single ball that's thrown to him, all those sorts of things. So I think right now, if I was sort of playing the, the Dr. Phil role, just simplify things. You know, control the easy things, and then the more difficult things become easier. You know what I mean? So, uh, Dave, you know, he's a great kid. He, he puts the weight of the world on his shoulders, and I think that's part of the problem. And we even see his free throw percentage go down, and that, to me, really indicates that, that something's just not right there yet. So we'll see how he bounces back from this. We'll see if he can kind of be that anchor that KU needs. But that's sort of maybe what I'm talking about, just being an anchor, being something that KU can rely upon game after game to give them this. Uh, right now, it's just too up and down, and, and that makes it for a very difficult rotation and very difficult to know night tonight with exactly what you're going to get. Jesse, this is kind of stemming from the David McCormick conversation, but I'm asking more in general. Uh, an understanding, of course, that any critique or criticism of Bill Self is, is um, a, you know, a first-world problem because of, of how good of a coach he is. But do you think he's a little, and, and I'll just preface it by saying I, I do think he is, would you agree that he's a little... Um, stuck in old ways when it comes to pulling being quick on the trigger to pull a guy with two fouls and to keep him out when he gets him in the first half? Well, if you look at the numbers, Bill's actually gotten a lot better over time being more aggressive with that. Now, I think what he thinks with big men is probably different than what he thinks with guards. Okay. I think the other part of this conversation, too, is just how much depth you do have. Um, I just mentioned they don't have as much depth in our game that you want. But I was a little surprised they didn't put Dave back into that first half against Stephen F. Austin. Really, because how Lightfoot was huffing toward the end. Yeah, and well, and, and you know, Bill started to get Zach Clements up pretty quickly too, and then put him back on the bench as well um, and through Mitch's uh, early minutes. So yeah, I, you know, it it can be debated. It's one of those things that can be debated. Um, I, on this year's Pittsburgh team, it's basically been a two foul auto bench, which was what Bill Self did way in the past, but. We did see him with less of a rotation. He was very, very aggressive keeping guys in there with two fouls, especially if they were guards. So um, could he have left Dave in and had him play through some stuff there, potentially? I, I think he maybe could have, but I think overall that is one of the ways. We've seen both self develop over time. He definitely has been more aggressive putting guys back in with two fouls. Maybe not this year necessarily, but it definitely has been something that's crossed his desk, and he's made a, uh, an effort to uh, change up over time if you look at the numbers. All right, Jesse, you ready for Kiss, Mary Kill? Let's do it. Virginia Tech, USC, and Connecticut. Oh, boy. Okay. Um, I guess I'll just tell <laughs> Virginia Tech. I mean, they were one that, like, everybody was wanting me to rank last year, and I just never did. I mean, they were pretty good. They did pop up pretty good this week, so um, I think I got them at the end of my ballot. But I'll just say that the, the advanced numbers usually don't like them, so that means I usually don't like them. So we'll, <laughs> we'll keep them down a little bit. Um, I guess I'll kiss USC. I mean, if you're undefeated, you're decent, and um, they obviously had a good run at the end of last year, but some of the wins have not been that impressive, so they might be just a fling. They might go away here pretty soon. Um, so I guess that means I marry UConn. Um, I put in my Final Four last year, and still somehow, uh, knock on wood, uh, you know, pat me on the back, won the KLWN uh, uh, contest. Mm. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, but they were in my Final Four. So I somehow always seem to love the Huskies, so that's probably going to continue this year because the stats seem to like them okay. So we'll see if they continue and keep that up. There we go. All right, real quick, one last thing with Adam. All right, Jesse, we got to go quick on this. One last thing. 
What is your favorite non-Christmas or non-holiday food that you like to have at Christmas time? Non-Christmas, non-holiday food I like to have at Christmas time. Yeah, non non-traditional uh, that you'd like to have on your Christmas dinner. Oh, with Christmas dinner. Uh, well, shoot. Uh, well, we we normally have kind of the normal things, but I, I will say, you know, sugar cookies play up any time of year, and I'm always a sucker for those. And my dad makes the world's best peanut brittle. I'm not sure that's exactly Christmas. I think it sort of is, but um, he makes it on Christmas time. That stuff is really good as well. All right, he's Jesse Newell. You can check out all his work, including that story on David McCormick being the most important player on the team over on, in the Kansas City Star and at KansasCity.com. Jesse, thank you so much for the time. And I think uh, they're doing a – it's like a dollar for the next four months for a subscription. So go do that. Jesse, thank you so much for the time as always, man, and uh, Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. All right, appreciate you guys. Uh, that's Jesse Newell, the Kansas City Star. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. With Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. One hour down. Two to go. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk, 4 o'clock hour on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN and KLWN.com. With Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. We'll have Brian Haney, the voice of the Jayhawks, joining us at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. We've got our college football whip around coming up. I also want to uh, kind of discuss and uh, go over the MVP race with Patrick Mahomes and where he kind of sits in things, where he should sit in things based on everything that's going on. But first, um, we are going to get to Around the World with Adam on a Wednesday. All right, let's get going. First off, we need to follow up on a story we did last week, Derek. Yeah. Where a woman was allegedly breastfeeding a cat Some video on an airplane. Uh, some videos have then surfaced. I'm trying to decide whether or not, we're both trying to decide whether or not this, what you actually brought this video to my attention, whether or not this was a prank or what. So here's what happened if you watch this video. The woman's saying, no, I'm feeding my baby. The flight attendant is saying, ma'am, can you at least please prove that that's a human baby? She, she's got a blanket over the alleged baby. And she's, uh, she says, well, fine. If you don't trust me, remove the blanket. Go ahead. So he removes the blanket. Sure enough, it's a cat up to her bosom. And then she stands up, and she's still got the cat there. And at first... No, was, people are like, people are like, ma'am, you cannot have a cat. And she's oh, like, and then she, oh, no, yeah. First just, of all, it's a lynx. lynx. That's right. I forgot about that. First off, it's not a cat. And it's, it's a, a lynx. service and it's animal. A, it's a, an emotional support animal. And so then she stands up, and people are getting more and more look at it. And you notice it's very still. So then you think, is that a dead cat that's been, that's been taxidermied? And then she pulls it away from her chest, and it's got googly eyes. Not like a normal taxidermid animal that has still realistic eyes. It's got like googly eyes that you yes. would buy at a costume shop. Yes. So I'm hoping, hoping that this is just some elaborate prank and she's, you know, it's, it's some big, you know, uh, Johnny Knoxville-esque prank that she's playing on people that somebody else was secretly filming her and she was in on the joke. I, I hope. hope so. This is otherwise she's an absolute lunatic. So yeah, that's the follow up to the uh, lady who is breastfeeding her cat. Not a real cat. 
So, uh, yeah, go check out that video online. It's, there's more twists and turns in that thing than an M. Night Shyamalan movie. What is uh, our first real story for this week? All right, we're going to North Korea to start things off. Uh, Kim Jong-il died on December 17th, 2011, and on the 10th anniversary, uh, North Korea has banned laughing and drinking for mm. 11 days to what? mourn on the 10th anniversary of Kim Jong-il's death. Uh, I have tickets to see the Sklar Brothers at the Pyongyang Improv. I don't oh, know no. what the what the hell am I gonna do with those now? Ah, uh, if anybody, yeah, if anybody would like to purchase those, give us a call. Right? Do now. people laugh and drink in North Korea as it is? It's got a reputation, and, and as with a lot of things, legend may not. It, the legend of it may not be as bad as or, or as extreme as it as it, the reality is. I don't know. What I do know is there's a legend surrounding North Korea that it's a bananas cr- crazy place. Well, we just don't know because we just, you yeah, know, nobody's it, allowed blocked there. off. It's, you know, it's everything. secluded. Yeah. Um, but apparently they're, they're not allowed to laugh or drink for 11 days. I didn't think they could drink anyway. Yeah. I, that kind of surprises me that they could drink. Maybe, I don't know. It's, it, it seems so strict again. Like we, we know very little, um, but like, I don't know. I would be afraid to drink as is because with how strict and everything is, like, you know, you have one too many and all of a sudden you slip up and say, man, I don't know about this Kim Jong-un guy. Pop, you're dead, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, I, you know, it, it's it's tough. Um, you really got to watch your back in North Korea. I would but never But the laughing part, I, like, I don't know how much laughing you're doing because it just sounds miserable. But then again, sounds all these people have just lived there their whole lives. And I think for a lot of them, they don't know they anything don't know else. Any better. So maybe they're just used to that. But also, um, I mean, I think got, there's probably some got laughing. A, they've got a dictator that can run a marathon in under 30 minutes. Yeah, so. he's a beast. Um, he keeps beating, greatest athlete of all time. Keeps beating Tiger Woods at golf. He's amazing. He, like, anytime he would laugh, you would have to laugh. That's a good point. But now you don't. So what happens? What if he laughs? Like, is he going to be testing them? Right. Ooh, that's tough. Oh, my gosh. I don't know what to do. So 10 day or 11 days of no laughing because mm. Kim Jong-il died 10 Why years Why did they ago. pick 11, though? To one up? I don't know. I, I have no idea because okay. they're weird. <laughs> that's probably the best answer you could Because he's mad. He looks yeah. like Cartman. <laughs> um, Kim Jong-il, by the way, mm. he looked like a really angry woman, even mm. though he was not. The original Karen. <laughs> yeah, he looked like a really angry woman when he was alive. Now he probably looks like a skeleton. Um, over in Italy now, newly promoted congrats to Salernitana, uh, if I'm pronouncing that right. They're a, a, a hockey club, and they have been promoted from Serie B, Serie B, mm. to Serie A, which is the top, top, top level of Italian soccer. Mm-hmm. Congratulations to them. All right, sorry, you can't exist as a team anymore. We're kicking you out of the league. This one was brought to my attention by Derek. Uh, it is because the owner of this team also owns um, Lazio, and you cannot and and, and this uh, this Saler, uh, Salern, Sal, Salernitana. Anyway, this other team uh, was in Series B, the the lower division. And you're allowed to own two teams as long as they're in different divisions. You cannot own two teams in the same division. Serie A is the same division. So because he's such a good owner that one of that his B team jumped up to the A level, uh, they're going to boot him. 
So they're looking. They got 10 days to find an owner. I absolutely love this story. I think we should put a bid on them, right? I mean, in theory, if they don't have an, again, if they don't have a buyer in 10 days, out of the league. So that means so, this got to be like a cheap, cheap price. Yeah. Man. They're desperate. They are. It, I mean, back in the 90s, down the New York Islanders, days? back in the 90s, the New York Islanders were so desperate to sell that they got, they got frauded out by a crook who didn't even have any money. Yeah. He had to go to prison, I, but we don't even have to lie about the amount of money we have. No. We I, put in a bid for like, I don't know. Could you imagine that if like $1,000 won this bid and we were just like owners of a soccer team and we're moving abroad to Italy and we know nothing about this team? I would just I would just like take in the profits and I'd basically be like uh, the banker in, uh, oh, what's that show called? Let's make it, no, not let's make a deal. Oh, uh, Howie Mandel? Yeah, what is that called? Yeah, I know, deal or no deal. Deal or no deal. And basically, you couldn't see me. You know, I'd just be like a, be a shadow, a shadow up yeah. at the top. But they would know I own the team. I would, uh, you know, basically delegate. I would be a good delegator. I'd, I'd hire people who spoke Italian, first of all. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't really know what I was doing, so I'd leave it to the other people. I think I would be I a speak, good owner. I speak some Italian. I took four semesters of mm. Italian for my degree. I could say, um, penso se uh, tu sia carina. What is that? I think you're cute. Oh, thank you. Well, Appreciate that. That's just the word. It's, okay, good. So we're, we got the compliments underway. Yes. Um, and the harassment suits yeah, that would inevitably exactly. come with yeah. me saying that. We can uh, we can order food for the players because we know how to say, you know, spaghetti and stuff like that. Yeah. I love it. I so, think we should. All right, yeah, let's put in a Maybe bid. we can get the, and then we can change the team name to the, like, Rock Chalk Sports Talks. Okay. And they won't even know what it means. Yeah, they, they'll have no idea. Yeah, go ahead and um, put in a bid. Okay. Thousand bucks. Mm-hmm. So we'll we'll keep you updated on that. So listen uh, listen next week to see how that works out. If there is a show, if not, we're going to be owning this soccer this uh, soccer team and we'll be quitting. Um, or we'll just be broadcasting mm-hmm. live from Italy. All right, uh, Texas. You know you hate this, Derek. Texas resident shared security camera footage. A thief took a 10-pound package off their porch. Around Christmas time, these are the worst kinds of people. Can you match? Can you can you get an idea of the description of the thief? What do you mean? Approximate height and weight. I don't know. Thief could be anyone. Okay. Give it a shot. Six feet tall. I, I don't know. Anybody could be a thief. What do you want me to say? From this photo, probably about uh, oh, two feet, ten inches, three feet maybe. Uh, maybe weighing 40, 50 pounds. A dog. Got okay. A, got a good look Love because this was, this was a 10-pound package of milk bones, buddy. Yeah. So he thought he hit the jackpot or the jackpot, P-A-W-T. Mm, yes. Uh, he found them on the uh, on the porch and <laughs> made off with them. So good for him. I yeah. hope he gets to keep them. I do too. Um, see, this is the perfect crime. If you could teach your dog how to do this, then you would get away with it every time. Because yeah, this is oh, that's so cute. Right. It's either that's so cute or what are you going to do? 
what are you going to do if you have one of those like ring doorbells or a doorbell that has the camera and you're like, hey, my package got stolen. I need to call the cops. And you go back and you rewind the video and they ask for a description of the person and you don't have a, a description to give. You just say it's a dog. What the are dog, they going to do? Yeah. They can't go door you to door maybe and give find the breed. every dog. But even then, yeah. what are you going to do? Oh, it's a yellow lab. Well, guess how many people have a yellow lab? You know what I mean? Like, good luck with that. So this is the perfect crime. I love this, that this happened. This... I don't know. Maybe the next bank robbery is conducted by a dog. That's what I want to see. We see all these bank robbery movies. What about, you know, Air Bud goes dark? Yeah, he could go in and, and uh, he'd be carrying a gun on him. Everybody's like, oh, what a good like boy. He's, he's under the guise of making a deposit. <laughs> yeah. Okay. How many of these do you have planned? I think that's it. Okay. Um. So, yeah. Uh, so, he took took the milk bones. Mm. Uh, he, good for that's him. That's all man. he took. Good for it. You know what? That's all he took. Yeah. There are other packages and that's all he took. Dogs are very um very happy creatures and I would like to think this dog could have been the the uh Robin Hood of dogs. What if it was yeah, bringing back the going, milk bones? Going door to door, giving yeah. milk bones to the needy. For all the Christmas dogs yeah. that didn't have a a good home. Yeah, 10 pound yeah. bag of milk a box of milk bones and he's giving them out. What I bet guy. that's just what happened. Mm-hmm. Good dog. <laughs> all right. <laughs> um a uh, a donation was given to a college. Let me find which college. Um, City College of New York. Mm. Uh, they returned to in classes uh, in class person uh, in person classes this semester. If I can speak, um, then they're they're looking at some uh, going through the mail that they missed out on due to COVID. They weren't in the office for such a long period of time. And then here's kind of a nondescript package. What do you think was inside that package? Well, if it was at a school, I don't know, like school supplies, was it? If this is a story, it has to be something weird. So I'm going to say this was something for the science department, like a a severed, like, reindeer head or something. I don't know. $180,000 in cash. Well, now somebody I decided, feel like a weirdo. <laughs> somebody decided to donate to the college and it just sat in a mailroom for months. No way. Wait, so this guy donated cash? $180,000 in cash. Okay, this is clearly somebody who is trying to clean their money. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) They're trying to clean their money. They're trying to make it legal. And this way, if they donate the $180,000, that could have been all the money they stole. Oh, my God. This is is even more. They get the tax money for it. This is even more proof. There was an unsigned letter in the package explaining that the donor graduated, quote, long ago from the City College of New York. With a double major in physics and mathematics, then got an MA in physics there, and went on to get a double PhD in physics and astronomy. In case you quote in the letter, uh, quote, assuming you are a bit curious as to why I'm doing this, the reason is straightforward. The excellent excellent educational opportunity available to me, which I took full advantage of at CCNY, gave me the basis to continue and develop. They got that money illegally. That money had to have been acquired illegally. Why not just put in? Yeah, even if you even if you want to do it anonymously, give them a check and say keep this anonymous. That is super. A box of one hundred eighty thousand dollars in cash. You out of your mind? What if it's like fake money? (laughs) Wait, hold on. Tabs. What if this is like the 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 dean of the school or or whatever, and he he wanted a positive he or she wanted a positive PR stunt for the school, and he's like, hey, we're just gonna put some like monopoly money in there, but. You know, not monopoly money, but fake money, and we're gonna dupe everyone, and it will make it from anonymous so that they can't trace it back to us. 
It was just think it was from some anonymous person. And then COVID hit, and they didn't yeah, know they'd they be forgot. out of the office for so long. And they were like, oh, crap. $180,000 in cash. There's no chance that money was acquired in a legal fashion. Do Nobody, think- I would be skeptical. I'm skeptical when people pay for Taco Bell in cash now, man. Well, I always wonder, like, why this number, right? The same way I wondered with the 11 days. Why $180,000? That's a lot of money, so I don't want to, but... Like, why not? Usually, I just, I don't know. I feel like most people work in round numbers. You know, I'm going to donate $100. I'm going to donate, you know, whatever. I'm, I'm going to do this thing at 1.30 p.m. Yeah. It's never like 1.34 p.m., right? Um, So I, I wonder, do you think there's a chance this person donated $200,000 and, and somebody profe- skims $20,000 off the, the top? The professor who opened it went, hey, no, I only found $180,000. <laughs> yeah. I don't know right? what you're talking about. Like, by the way, uh, I'm going on a quick vacation next week. To uh, the Bahamas. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. Either way, this uh, there's just I I can't fathom a manner in which that mm. money was acquired legally. Um, is there one more? Uh, one more? There is. I'm trying to find it. Um, hang on a second. I can't. Uh, mm. Your last story is oh, the bag of money. Uh, no. Yeah. It was. I. I. No. Um. I didn't open the link. I apologize. Let me get to, let me restart the music and then find my weird news email. Um, Okay, Akron, Ohio. I apologize for that delay. Uh, This person, a a gentleman has been um, found and is facing charges for stealing something. What did this person steal? Uh, This is outside of Akron in a place called Sharon Township. Sharon is an S-H-A-R-O-N. I'm trying to think what's popular in in Ohio. Um, Skyline Chili. No. Close. Uh, uh, no. This man stole a bridge, as you do. Okay. Toy bridge? Sure. A 58-foot-long pedestrian bridge stolen from an Ohio city last month has been found, and a man is facing charges. Mm. Akron police said investigators acting on tips and other information Friday afternoon found the missing... Missing bridge partially disassembled on property in Sharon Township in neighboring Medina County. A man has been arrested and charged with felony theft, I'd say. The Akron Bridge, described as a Lego-like structure, once crossed a river in Akron's Middlebury Run Park near Goodyear's World Headquarters. It was taken down in 2003 as part of a wetland restoration project and was stored on park property with plans for it to be reused for a battered women's shelter project. So now I hate this guy because he took it from what was going to be a very important cause. Um, At first, I was just interested because he stole a damn bridge, which who needs a bridge? Like, I understand, you know, know, the guy from Les Mis got got put in the can for stealing a loaf of bread, Mm. Uh, you know, but I understand you got to feed your family. Who's sitting there going, God, I really need a damn bridge, but... Money's been hard to come by lately. Yeah, this had to be something where he was planning on, like, taking apart the individual pieces here and, like, selling them at at cost or something. But that isn't, like, this, uh, we've had a lot of these over the course of this. God, he was 63 years old, Derek. Wow. It it chalks up into the category of, why steal that? (laughs) You know, And, and I don't know what you're doing with this. What is the reason? How do you hide it for that long? He was on. I mean, this guy was on the lam for months. Mm. Last month, last so so weeks at least. This guy was able to 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 steal and hide a bridge. 
and keep it hidden for almost a month. I just imagine he had it in his backyard and there was like a big tarp over it and it was clearly like the tarp you could see under it was like shaped like a bridge with the tarp all over it. And, and every yeah, Ron's often, doing some redecorating yeah, back the there. The cop like would drive by and he'd be like, listen, we're, uh, we're looking for, uh, I know this sounds ridiculous, a man stole a bridge. And he's like, somebody told me to come check this out because they're... There's that big blob in your in your backyard, and he's like, "Oh no, that's, that's just uh, landscaping stuff. You know, don't worry about that." He's like, "Oh okay, uh, all right, well, I'll have a good one. <laughs> I'm building a minor league baseball park in my yard. <laughs> it's a roller coaster." Um, so yeah, that is uh, that is around the world with Adam for today. I hope you all enjoyed it. All right, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening in on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, and KLWN.com. on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. About a quarter till five, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening in on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN, klwn.com. The NFL season coming to a close, three more weeks to go. If you go look at, so I, this is from uh, FanDuel, their, their sports book. Patrick Mahomes is currently third in the MVP race. Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady are co-favorites right now at minus 160. And even though Mahomes is in third, which doesn't sound far off, it's not, there's a big drop-off between those top two guys and Mahomes. Rodgers and Brady at minus 160. you got to go all the way down to plus 850 to get Patrick Mahomes in third, which is a lot closer to the pack of the guys behind him than it is to those top guys. For instance, Matthew Stafford's at 10-1. to Jonathan Taylor's at 12-1. to Josh Allen is at 15-1. to And I am a little perplexed by it. To be completely honest, I know the Chiefs' offense hasn't been great throughout the year, but if we just bear this down and, and look at the numbers and compare them between all of them, and you know, you also get kind of the benefit of the doubt with Patrick Mahomes that people just know he is a really good quarterback, and the Chiefs have the best record in the AFC right now, you would think that, I'm not even saying that maybe he should be ahead of Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. I, I think I would have him ahead of Tom Brady, but we'll get to this in a moment he should at least be a lot closer to that conversation. Yeah, I I don't know if I disagree with or if yeah, I don't know if I disagree with the odds and that's because I would think I don't know this, but I would think the people laying those odds have it, it, have talked to a lot of MVP voters to gauge where they're thinking their their vote may go right now. Um I don't know that to be true, but I would think that they're doing some research in that realm to to you know, anybody who will talk, they'll ask wh- which way you lean in. Um but yeah, so for that matter, I mean they they may have ha- they may have a bunch of writers who are saying no, I'm voting this way, or I'm voting that way. Um, but if I were to talk a, to a voter and they were saying no, I have it Rogers Brady, and then well behind them is is Mahomes. Yeah, that would that would really confuse me because, um, you know, first off, he's he's a well known name, and and those that usually helps. Um, his team is currently holding the one seed. He's the quarterback of one of the three best teams in football. Um, I, you know, but so, you know, the, the MVP is so rooted in storylines. Think of how long 
and how much it took for Mahomes to break away from Drew Brees in 2018 because Mahomes was the young buck and Brees, oh, he never won one. And it, I mean, they, they were, they kept moving the goalpost for Mahomes and Breeze and, you know, was, was still, and then finally by about week 10 or week 11, people were like, all right, we can't defend this anymore. It's clearly Mahomes. Um, and so I wonder if, if the storyline is so much there, so much more there with the potential last dance of, um, of, uh, Devonte Adams and, and Aaron Rodgers in green Bay with Tom Brady being, um, a thousand and still playing really well. And coming off of a world championship and and being world championship contenders again, I I just I think storylines run these things so much, um, and I would agree. I mean, I'm not gonna. Neither of us are gonna sit here and and pound the the table and say, oh, it's absurd uh, that that Mahomes isn't above these guys. We're mm-hmm. not saying that, but he's he's near their level. I, I do think he. I think Rodgers has a pretty big lead and in intercept hasn't he only had thrown like four or five yeah i think that rogers is doing really well is and, going and to win this award and, and i think he's they're close does, is he have does he have fewer touchdowns than mahomes though well we'll get to the stats okay in just I just, well yeah. i just uh, point being i i think it's rogers to lose but and i don't think i'm not you know neither of us are sitting here and saying that mahomes needs to be a, you know number one with a bullet but you, you do need him to kind of be He's in the con. I mean, he should be way more in the conversation than he is. He's he's led one of the biggest in in season turnarounds we've had, and he's had a lot to do with that. Yes. Um. Here's the stats breakdown to it. I think Aaron Rodgers is going to win the award. The only thing that could play in here, I mean, we've seen it in the MLB vote. Sometimes people take kind of a personal grudge uh, against players and don't vote for him. So I don't know if the whole Aaron Rodgers stuff that's gone on is going to play into that. I don't think it should. You're voting on a football award, but that's a story for another day. Um, Aaron Rodgers so far this season, these are unbelievable numbers. He is 11-2 and two as a starter, because if you remember, the other loss the Packers have was with Jordan Love. Completed 68% of his passes. He has over 3,500 total yards between rushing and uh passing but again that's minus one game 33 total touchdowns rushing and passing to just four interceptions he's really good he's so good he is first in total qbr he is first in epa per play and he's also i believe leading the nfl in air yards per attempt he's also at 7.9 yards per attempt he is in my eyes should be the front runner i'm a little surprised he's even tied with Tom Brady, it's good that that takes me back to the storyline thing, mm-hmm. and and he's you know he's if anybody should be number one for, with a bullet, it's him. Um, and you bring Brady back to the pack a little bit. He's he's remarkable. He he really and and, and this I'm going to go off on a tangent. Uh, just give me about twenty seconds and, and humor me. My God, the quarterbacks we've been able to watch in our lifetime, and I understand that the the league has really geared things toward more scoring because it attracts more eyeballs. And they've done a lot of things to protect quarterbacks. But good Lord, Derek, Tom, and Peyton, and Favre, and Aaron. And, and God, look how good Phillip Rivers was. And most people think he was bad. That's how good quarterback <laughs> play has been in this modern mm-hmm. era. And we just keep, and, and he's, you know, Rogers has been the, re, he's, I don't know. I, I love watching people. I Look, I, I, if you were listening, you heard exactly how I felt about Rodgers and, and the vaccine. I, I, I didn't like it. I think it's selfish to not get a vaccine if you're healthy enough to do it. Um, but 
when we're j- just exclusively talking about watching people be great as, as athletes, which is something you and I love to do, he is so fun to watch, and he's fun to think about and talk about. He, yeah, he's, he's very incredible. Good. Here's Brady's stats out of comparison: ten and four, his worst record, sixty-seven percent completion mark, uh, up to forty-four hundred and eighteen total yards. So he's got Rodgers there. He's also got him in yards per game. Um, he has 38 total touchdowns, so has Rodgers there as well by five, but he has seven more interceptions with 11. He is down to 7.2 yards per attempt, which is .7 lower. Um, he does have more fourth-quarter comebacks, more game-winning drives, but his total QBR is about three points worse. He's fourth in the NFL there. He's fifth in the NFL in EPA per play. So obviously all very good numbers, but Rodgers just basically trumps him in every single way there outside of the total yards and total touchdowns, but it's more efficient, and uh, you take away the, the missed the game for Aaron Rodgers. I, I just really don't see a way that why Tom Brady should be co-favorites with Aaron Rodgers. I'm fine if he's in the top three here, and here's where it's interesting with Patrick Mahomes. I mentioned how he's in third place right now of the odds, how he's all the way down at plus 850, which... Uh, sizable drop from where Tom Brady is at minus 160. I'm not arguing that Patrick Mahomes should be ahead of Aaron Rodgers in the MVP voting. Again, I, I read off those stats. Absolutely incredible. Patrick Mahomes, in my eyes, should be at least in line with, if not higher than where Tom Brady is in the MVP voting. 10-4, and four, same record as Tom Brady. 4,354 total yards between rushing and passing. That is only about 60 yards less than Tom Brady. 32 total touchdowns, so he does have six less touchdowns, does have two more interceptions with the 13. But again, this is where it comes into play. How many of those have been tipped interceptions? Yeah. Eight? Nine? I, I don't think, know if I, 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 had. I think, somewhere. I think I had Tyreek's... Uh, Tyreek's three. Yeah, but I think the one... What was his most recent one? Not against the Chargers. The- he had Dallas. Um, he had the one against Dallas. He had the one against the Broncos. And then he had the Which one against the more Washington. more recent game? Uh, Denver. Okay, so it was Denver. Tyreek's tipped uh, that led to an interception against Denver. I counted that to be the seventh overall that that had been a tip that resulted in a pick. So let's say he's got other seven or eight. I mean, even if Brady has a couple that have been tipped, because I'm sure a couple were tipped for him too. Probably a lot closer there. Mahomes more yards per attempt, seven point four to seven point two. Mahomes more fourth quarter comebacks, three to two. Um. He is ahead of him by one spot in EPA per play. Brady is ahead of Mahomes by one spot in total QBR. It is pretty locked close. And then you add the the factor of, well, who do you think has been more valuable? Well, that's a tough conversation to have because the Buccaneers have a lot of talent on the defense. Well, the Chiefs' defense has been playing really well. And over, you know, up until the last two weeks, they've really kind of carried the load, I think, of of the team for a majority of the season outside of the first four or five weeks. But Mahomes still carried the load for those first four or five weeks. He carried the load in the biggest game of the year against the Chargers. He had a big game a couple times against the Raiders. He's still been there. Um, you could argue Brady has more talent around him on offense, at least probably not anymore. Not for the rest forward. of the season, yeah. he doesn't. But up until this point, yeah. he probably has. I mean, you're talking about you've had... Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown, Mike Evans. Those are three legit Pro Bowl receivers. Um, The Chiefs don't have that really third weapon in the passing game, as we know. So I would argue that Mahomes, at the very least, I think this should be Aaron Rodgers is the favorite. I think Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes should probably have about even odds, tied for second. And then I think there should be another jump to that next tier of guys like Matthew Stafford, Jonathan Taylor, Josh Allen. 
I think a lot of this is also it's, it's hard to let go of early season narratives because Mahomes was very not up to snuff earlier in this season, and I don't know if people have been paying close enough attention to how much he's improved back to his normal levels, um, especially those. I mean, he was that game against the Chargers. He was incredible. I mean, the last ten minutes he was as good as he's ever been, and in, in when they needed it the most. Um, and so I, I think there's something to be said about that. You know, that, that he, because he struggled and because him struggled, we kind of joked. Uh, it was when we were in Omaha doing the, the shortened uh, version of Rock Chalk Sports Talk before the KU volleyball game where we talked, you know, can we can we stop saying, can we? you know, he's got 25 touchdowns and 11 interceptions. Can we stop asking what's wrong with Patrick Mahomes? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's kind of that. I think, it. you know, people have their narratives from early in the season and it's hard to you know, to stay, stop and go, wait a minute, I don't think... It happens a lot in sports. Billy Butler was constantly criticized by Royals fans um, because he, he occasionally hit into double plays. And it was like, oh my God, he's, that's all he ever does. And it, nobody would have believed that he was by far the best. I mean, for the longest time, Billy Butler was the only Royal with, an, uh, with a better than 800 OPS. So my point is, is as fans and as media members, it's you know we get into these ideas that this player is struggling, and even when they prove otherwise after a few games, it's 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 hard to get out of the belief of what we initially um, declared early yeah. in the season. Yeah, no, it absolutely is. And uh, although I guess to the counter that Kyler Murray was like the runaway MVP through four weeks, and he has dropped off. He's like a forty-one now. But yeah, for the most part. That remains to be true. Um, so just interesting there. But I also uh, I mentioned Jonathan Taylor. He's the top running back. We can just admit at this point, like this is just a quarterback award. And and we talked about this with the Heisman. I'm actually okay with it in the MVP. This basically just being a quarterback award. The Heisman is for the best player in the country. The MVP, it says in there, is most valuable. You have offensive player of the year, defensive player of the year. So if you want to stray, that's where you give it to him. But if we're talking value the best quarterback is going to be the most valuable player in the NFL. But it is funny because, like, this is how far we've gone with this. Derrick Henry had 2,000 rushing yards last year. Mm -hmm. There were three players that received MVP votes last season. Um, uh, Aaron Rodgers won it, correct? Yes. Um, Josh Allen finished second. He got four votes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Patrick Mahomes got two votes, finished third. Yep. Nobody else got votes. Derrick Henry had 2,000 rushing yards. If, if you would have ran for 2,000 yards 15 years ago, you would have won it. In the same way that Jonathan Taylor, he's leading the NFL in rushing yards. He's 1,518 rushing yards, over 100 per game, which means he's at 108 per game, which means he's uh, very much on pace for, um, I don't know, close to 1,800, close to 2,000 yards. He has like 400 yards over the expectation, which is like blowing away next best, but he's not even going to sniff the top three in MVP voting most likely. All right, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. We will talk with the voice of the Jayhawks, some more KU basketball with Brian Haney coming up at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening in on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com. Sure. Joined now by the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Normally joins us on Fridays, but um, no show this Friday. So we're having Brian on on a Wednesday. Uh, obviously, yesterday, I'm sure, was kind of a unique situation. And I don't know how much it would compare to um, the day that the Big 12 tournament was canceled back in 2020. 
um, just because that was more of a, a macro thing than this being more of a, a one-game thing. But uh, when did you guys find out last night there wasn't be a game, and, and how was your uh, short trip to Colorado? Yeah, you know, we found out about 10 or 12 minutes before David Lawrence and Sean Kellerman were supposed to start the Crimson and Blue show. And so in the 12 minutes we had, Dan Beckler, who's one of our associate ADs for external, he's talking to David, giving him talking points on what to say. Because at that point, from a radio station standpoint, your affiliates are locked and loaded, ready to take a broadcast, and you got to take the air with something, because a lot of them operate in automation. So we had to take, take the air for at least a little bit, but players didn't know anything. And, and how it all came about, without getting into too much detail, was the, the team officials, Coach Self, his staff, his team doctors, were notified when they arrived for shoot-around that day. And shoot-around is, is the name of the game day practice, which is usually an hour and a half in, in the opponent's gym just to get a feel for the venue and that kind of thing. It's more than shooting around, but that's what they call it, shoot-around. And uh, Tad Boyle was out there on the floor. You never see an opponent head coach out there during the other team's shoot-around time, so you knew something was up. But Coach Self and his staff did a really good job of shielding the players from what that discussion was all about because think about it from a psychological standpoint if you're an 18 to 22 year old kid and you hear that there might not be a game and you may have just come all this way for nothing and christmas break's going to start early and you don't have to worry about this opponent well they wouldn't have been as locked in and the truth of the matter was at that time there was still a 50 50 chance we might still play and so i thought uh, our coaching staff uh, and our, our team officials did a great job in you know First, identifying what the odds were that we were going to play, and then it was on the University of Kansas team health officials to make the decision on do we want to play or not based on what we know of, of the COVID situation. And as of noon, it was just one case, and so they made the determination that if any other case came back positive, then um, yeah, that was too many at that point, plus the incubation period of if other guys in the team had contracted it but weren't uh, showing symptoms or testing positive yet, that was just too big of a risk to take. Because the last thing you want is to have some kind of outbreak on your team, and then you send all these guys home for the holidays to their respective parts of the country around their loved ones, and they get sick and get them sick and all that. So it was a prudent decision. But, um, again, that timeline goes from midday with a handful of people knowing to, uh, you know, then waiting on the other test results to get back, but still going through all the motions as if we were going to play because the genuine hope was that they would play. I mean, you don't spend all that money to travel out there and put in a game plan and all that. that. That was the difference between yesterday's cancellation and some of these other cancellations you've seen around the country. In many cases, they've happened two or three days in advance. Uh, in this case, you're there. You've you've spent the you know tens of thousands of dollars on a private charter flight. You you paid for the nice hotel and the catered meals and all that stuff. But the money has been invested. The work has been put in. They absolutely wanted to play that game, but they made the right call for the the betterment of the health of their team and health and safety of their team and their team's families by by pulling the the game you know players off the floor and, and calling the game off. So totally respect and appreciate that decision. Hopefully, it's the last one we see. But it may not be. You know, certainly things are trending the wrong direction in that regard in all of sports right now, whether it's the NHL we're talking about or all these COVID cases in the NFL with 18 to 20 players, you know, having issues this past week. And already the Chiefs this week has been the, the hotbed uh, COVID city in the country, it seems, for NFL franchises after Cleveland was, was amongst them a week ago. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, disappointed we didn't get to play, but it was neat to go back out to Boulder. And uh, they have spruced up that arena 
arena a lot since the last time we were out there. It, it's still the same structured building, but they put a facelift on it. It's just a shame we couldn't see the two teams hook up. So uh, kind of understanding and agreeing with what you said, Brian, that you, you definitely understand why the decision was made. Um, and I know you're not you know, inside the heads of the players and the coaches, but did you get a sense maybe on the flight back or the bus to the airport was there – you know, I, I don't think anger would be correct because everybody understands this is a, a just a bad, tough situation that nobody can control. Was there disappointment? Was there just kind of well, few? We kind of dodged a bullet, you know, not not playing a team that's had COVID issues, and good thing we learned this ahead of time, even though it was kind of last second. What was the feeling of the the players and coaches, at least as you could observe it? You know. I, I wish I was in the room when they got the news because I could give you a more accurate answer on that. I think by the time I saw the guys loading up the buses to head to the airport, it had sunk in. It was what it was. And you have to keep in mind, I mean, if any team in America is used to hearing this type of news and, and can deal with it and not be crushed, it's Kansas because two years ago when you know the NCAA tournament and the Big 12 tournament all came to a screeching halt, they were number one with a bullet. They were everybody's you know, consensus number one overall national seed and had a chance at a national championship wiped out by COVID the first time. And then last year, they were the team that had to you know, remove themselves from the Big 12 tournament after already playing one game in Kansas City and beating Oklahoma. Ochai had his career day at the time. And then they're told, oh, sorry, you got to pack up your bags and go home from Kansas City again. So these poor kids have been through a lot in terms of finding out last minute they're not going to play. Uh, this was just a little bit unique in a road situation, regular season, where you'd gone out there, gone through practice, all that stuff, and, and then had the bad news come down. But like I said, you know, I, I respect the way our administration handled it throughout in making the most prudent decision, as you would fully expect them to. But also the coaches had a job to do in, in getting their guys ready because there was a good chance that they were going to play. And I think that you know, based on what Bill Self told the media, there was a willingness on Colorado's part to play shorthanded, but there was a, a more important priority made by you know the Kansas team health officials to, to make sure we protect our guys. And if there's more than one positive, then we, we just can't afford to put them out there because the chances of, of having it be widespread at that point would have been significant. Because, again, a lot of these Colorado kids, you know, the incubation period was, was not fully in effect just yet, and, and who's to say there weren't more than uh, what actually did turn up positive. So I think based on the information they had, they played it the right way. It's just a shame that these guys didn't get a chance to play the game. But compared to previous letdowns and disappointments, this one's pretty small scale because at the end of the day, it's just a December basketball game. But it would have been fun to play for sure, especially against the former Big 12 foe. And I think for guys like you, me, and, and uh, your audience on Rock Talk Sports Talk, Adam and Derek, uh, we've been counting down the number of games between Kansas and Kentucky all season, hoping that we will tie or surpass them in the all-time wins chase when they come to town in late January. So I was really hoping we get in every game possible. And I've you know, been watching some of their cancellations and hoping this would allow us to draw even closer. So that, that might be the, the most disappointing thing in the short term. We're talking with the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney here. Well, that makes it so that the last, I guess, data point that we've gotten from this KU basketball team was the Stephen F. Austin game. Obviously, it was a little closer than I'm sure KU would have liked, and they needed to kind of squeak things out late, and some big plays were made down the stretch. Overall, that might have been Jalen Wilson's best game, though, uh, coming back from the season. And I think if 
maybe it wasn't as, as close of a game because I think that became the talking point. Remy Martin became the talking point. Uh, maybe that would have been more of, of the lead, at least from, from people like ourselves. Um, so do you think that could serve as the breakout game for Jalen Wilson moving forward? Well, certainly a breakout half. Uh, the first half, you know, looked a little more efficient than the second. And it's funny, on the surface, when you see Jalen come out to start the second half, you're thinking, okay, well, self-rewarding his performance in the first half, the four field goals he made, maybe this is the starting five that we all expected and projected throughout the preseason. We're finally going to get to see it. DeWan's going to come off the bench. And even though Self had just told us in the pregame interview, which I think I shared with you guys a little bit about on last week's show, that DeWan Harris, is the guy that makes all the winning plays, does all the little things that don't show up in the box score. And Self had said that in the preseason, they charted everybody's record on all of the preseason five-on-five scrimmages. And that's when you're mixing and matching different lineup combinations, different five-on-fives. DeWan was the one guy that was always undefeated, never lost a game. Christian Brown lost once, but DeWan was perfect. And, and while it may not show up in the point column, or the rebound column, or some of these other categories that we look at first. He's the guy that genuinely, when he's on the floor, generally speaking, you know, things go well. And the plus-minus category probably describes that as well as anybody, and he's a guy that consistently is amongst the leaders in that regard. But fans don't look at a box score and see charges drawn, or see deflections on tipped balls that lead to steals, or the extra pass, that kind of thing. And so, you know, Self had just told us prior to the, the tip, DeWan belongs in our starting lineup because he flat out makes winning plays and he makes us better. So it was a little bit surprising to see DeWan on the bench to start the second half, but you look down and you're like, well, you know, Jalen just hit four shots. He really bailed Kansas out when the offense wasn't clicking. He came through with some big finishes. Maybe this is the start of something new, right? Well, come to find out yesterday in an interview that never aired because the game never played, uh, Coach Self said the reason why Jalen started the second half was because DeWan was sick and, and you know, using the men's room for all 15 minutes of halftime. And I, I don't know to what degree he was sick, but I was told he was, he was you know, in the stall for all 15 minutes, and that's why he didn't start. And did you see what happened when he didn't start? A seven-point halftime lead evaporated pretty quickly. And he gets back out of the floor, and we regain control of the game. Again, it doesn't lead to big superlatives in terms of you know individual offensive stat categories or anything like that. But the bottom line is he makes us better when we're on the floor. So you asked about Jalen. I thought I'd give you that peek behind the curtain as to why he actually started the second half. I do think that you know it's a situation where yes, the light is coming on. He's starting to settle in. We should be excited about you know Jalen starting to turn the corner. But I don't know that it leads to drastic changes in the lineup or rotationally speaking, uh, you know, any time in the immediate future. Um, but uh, for those that thought that was coming after they saw the second half starting lineup the way it was, I promise you it wasn't. Because DeJuan was the guy that was on the floor late when they made all the winning plays, and he would have been in the starting lineup last night had we had a game. That's that's a very good insight there. And, and I think also, uh, you know, Bill kind of mentioned at the end, he said even though Remy, um, in the postgame, even though Remy, uh, made some big plays there. It was Dewan who we were kind of going through at the end of, or, or who we've needed to go through at the end of games. And um, I, I think it kind of gives you insight of how difficult it is going to be maybe for Jalen to ever regain a, a starting spot in the lineup this year. Not necessarily um, 
because he's he's not good enough or anything like that, but just because when you go through it, you know, you're not going to take Ochai or Christian out of the lineup. They've been your two best players so far. Uh, Bill Self likes playing a, a big man, which you have in David McCormick, and I don't think he'd want to play with with a basically a, a, another wing forward type as as the five. Um, if you can't start him over Dwan Harris because he's making all your winning plays, and then you have Remy Martin, who is the Big Twelve preseason player of the year, it just it becomes very difficult to find. Uh, a spot for Jalen Wilson to ever start maybe this season. And I would agree. And yet I I genuinely believe as frustrating as that might be for him, he's one of those guys that gets it, that it's more about who finishes the game and he'll be on key stretches uh, of of games in crunch time. When Kansas elects to go smaller and have him in there at the five, He'll, he'll be logging key minutes with those other four starters when there's foul trouble to David McCormick, as we saw the other day. So there's going to be plenty of opportunities, and thankfully I don't think he's the type of guy that needs to have Eric Danielson calling his name over the public address in that starting five. Uh, it means more to certain guys than others, and I'm sure it means something to him, but let's make no mistake, he knows how good he is, he knows how much he can help this team, and he knows that you know a sequence of events that, that weren't the best you know, led to him not starting the season as a starter. And so eventually you got to carve out whatever niche you're going to have and carve out that role and flourish within it. And I think he's got the right mindset. He's, he's had the best attitude uh, you could have over the course of, of everything that's transpired the last couple of months. And even though it's been a slower start since coming back from the suspension than anybody would have forecast for him, I think, you know, he's, he's remaining confident, remaining positive. And all these guys, you know, feel pretty good about where we're at. I mean, you and I have had this conversation before, Derek and Adam, that uh, if if we're this good now, and you haven't seen Jalen Wilson get going yet, which some believe is our second most talented player, Remy is is a little inconsistent. He's still settling in and understanding what's expected of him, at least on one end of the floor. And and David's been up and down, and yet they're still nine and one and ranked seventh in the country. Just imagine once it starts falling into place. And so that's exciting, and I think Jalen gets that. And I would expect. That uh, going back to your original question, I, I really think we start to see him play a more prominent role. Um, you know, maybe as soon as that Big Twelve opener versus the team from near his hometown, TCU, uh, and, and we, we really start to see the Jalen Wilson, that's a NBA draft prospect, start to step to the forefront. Not as a you know first or second scorer option. I think that's still going to be Ochai and uh, and Christian, but as a guy that, that is making more take-the-game-over type plays where you saw what you saw in that first half versus Stephen F. Austin where maybe the offense isn't leading to good looks. He just steps up and makes a play. I think you're going to see him start to string more of those stretches together, and you're going to be reminded of a guy that went for 23 versus Kentucky and then 23 versus Creighton, a guy that, that can make something out of nothing just based on sheer explosiveness and athleticism and the ability to get the ball downhill and, and drive it hard at the glass uh, as he's done time and time again the last couple of years. That's in there. It's coming. It just may not be, you know, a 15-point-per-game version of Jalen Wilson that many thought we might see. Roles have, have kind of shooken out in different ways, but there's, there's still plenty of nights who give you that in, in certain doses, which might be exactly what's required of him in that given night based on the matchup. And so I like it that he's making strides. I like it that he's remained confident. And no doubt, if this team's going to hang a banner, he's got to be as important as any of those other five in the starting five, if not more so than a couple of them. And so my, my hope is we'll start to see that. He is Brian Haney, the voice of the Jayhawks. Brian, before we let you go, one last thing with Adam. 
All right, Brian, one last thing. Very easy, very obvious one, but uh, I'm going to ask you, what is your favorite all-time Christmas present? And the deal is, since this is an easy uh, question, you can't cop out beside, behind some corny, oh, I'm just happy to have my health, I'm happy to be around family. I need a real physical gift that you got at some point in your life that is your all-time favorite. Wow, that's tough. I was so spoiled as a kid. My parents were so generous and uh, always made Christmas morning so special. Uh, and so it, I, I can list off a dozen things that were you know, absolute home run gifts by my folks. But I remember growing up in the 8-bit Nintendo age, you guys were probably like, PS3s or something. You're so young, but uh, but back then it was eight bit Nintendo Entertainment System, and everybody had Mario Brothers. Everybody had RBI Baseball and Super Tecmo Bowl and all that. But the game that was truly special, so special, my dog's going nuts barking in the background right now, uh, was the Legend of Zelda. And what made Zelda special was the game cartridge itself was pure gold. Not like 14-karat gold you could take to a pawn shop and get 500 bucks, but colored gold. Every other Nintendo 8-bit cartridge was just like this blah, gray, plastic look. This was shiny and sparkly and gold. And I remember wanting that game so bad. And when I opened it up that day and saw the gold cartridge and all that, I just moved on cloud nine. So there's probably plenty of gifts that uh, were better than that one, but that memory sticks out in the forefront of my mind. And hopefully some other 30-something, 40-somethings driving around right now hearing this can identify with that story of the uh, 8-bit Nintendo back in the day. And then he spent all of Christmas break playing that game, occasionally having to pop it out of the Nintendo, blow into it to fix it, and pop it right yeah, back. Those are the good old days. Did that, that, that didn't right, actually yeah. do anything to it, no, right? That's what I, 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 I'm closer to your age than you might think, Brian. I'm, I'm quite a bit older than, than Derek. Um, and I, I, yeah, I remember that vividly. That's how you fix those things. It, it said specifically in the instructions. Did it actually? Yeah, you pop them out. You, it was the same with the Super <laughs> Nintendo, too. Pop them out, you blow them into them, and you pop them back in. I, I, I thought, like, you could also, I don't know. If, if push comes to shove, you could use a. Q-tip with some uh, rubbing alcohol, but yeah, blowing into it usually worked pretty well. Interesting. Well, Brian, thank yeah. you so much for the time, as always, man. And uh, what about uh, Nate Miller Retirement Group? That's right. Big thanks to my friends over there at the Miller Retirement Group. Just like the Hawks need a game plan for their next ball game, you need a retirement game plan too. So start off by calling Nate Miller at eight four 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 zero one forty twelve. That's eight four 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 zero one. 4012. Nate Miller with the Miller Retirement Group. Always a pleasure, guys. Adam, I clearly underestimated your old school video game <laughs> prowess. That was impressive. You guys have a wonderful holiday. I'm grateful for your friendship and the chance to come on each and every week. And uh, can't wait to talk to you as we head into the new year. One that hopefully includes some pretty uh, history making, memory making Kansas basketball over the next three or four months. All right, that's Brian Haney. Cue the disclaimer. Brian is a paid spokesperson, not a client. Brian does not endorse, and all individuals should make their own evaluation of the firm's investment advisory and insurance services. Investment advisory services offered only by duly registered individuals through AE Wealth Management, LLC. That is Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks, with Adam Dravetum, Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Depend on it.